All right. Are you ready to go and ready to talk about the Archduke of Nightmares? Yeah, I'm good to go. Welcome to my summer lair. I'm Sammy, Fright Night Yunnan, and welcome to Spangler Springs. If the name Spangler ignites a spark, it's Harold Ramis from Ghostbusters. In that horror comedy style tone of that movie, I present to you Psycho Gorman, written and directed by today's guest, Stephen Kostansky. In short, Psycho Gorman is an all-splatter comedy about two kids befriending a murderous, megalomaniacal ancient alien overlord that they have dug up in their backyard in Spangler Springs. Yep, I know. In long, Psycho Gorman is like a love letter to that classic video store rental where you take it home and you're not sure what you've got. And when you push play, you're dropped into this fantastic world where nothing makes sense, yet everything is so cool. This is not your mother's Narnia. As you'll hear Steven say in a few minutes talking about Psycho Gorman and video rental stores, it's very much summing up all my favorite like sci-fi, horror, fantasy, kids, adventure, movie tropes from all the different films that I've absorbed over the years. Truly, this movie was so much fun. I'm particularly fond of the zombie cop. Look out for him. So, yeah, this was a delight to talk to Steven about this hidden gem. Gem. I'm doing air quotes right now. It'll make sense when you watch the movie. Before we get too deep into uh, Psycho Gorman, I, I want to ask... What may seem like an obvious question, but is this like a love letter to the video rental store? Because that, that's classic horror movie, right? Where you kind of see that nice looking box and then you're like, oh, this has got to be good. And then you take it home. Oh, yeah. This is very much like a summation of a good chunk of my video store experiences as a kid. It's supposed to be like like the ultimate video store rental that as a kid I never quite stumbled upon mm -hmm. you know like it's kind of a combination of all the things that i like into one movie similar to uh my one of my past films manborg uh was kind of like that too mm -hmm. uh just with a, a little bit more money on this one because yeah it's very much summing up all my favorite kind of like sci-fi horror fantasy uh kids adventure movie tropes from all the different different films that i've i've absorbed over the years yeah, the young kids today, I don't think they realize the pressure of the of the video rental store, right? You're usually only walking away with like one, maybe two movies, three tops, right? So, like the pressure was on to pick something good, you know? And sometimes, like I said, like sometimes you go into the horror section, you see those boxes and those movie posters, and you're like, oh, this, something like Chopping Mall. This got to be good. There's no way I can go wrong on this one, right? So you got to choose carefully. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot more consideration that went into your selections back then like looking at tiles on, on netflix is not quite the same and there's no there's no repercussions to it either like you know this with streaming you can shut it off and move on to something else which mm -hmm. is really unfortunate because in the video store days it's like you're spending money to rent a thing you have like you have to leave your home to go to a place <laughs> to browse around looking at video boxes pick the thing that you want, then you have to pay for it, go home. <laughs> it's like there's a whole process to it that I don't think, you know, kids today really realize went into watching movies and I guess to a lesser extent TV. But I guess TV is just kind of a different process of like, you know, you, you watched it when it aired 
and it wasn't you couldn't binge watch things that wasn't even a term back then mm-hmm. so yeah there's a little bit more commitment required so it's like even if you rented a thing that was awful you felt obligated to watch it because it's like well i paid for this thing yeah and so i i do think that certainly like opened us up to maybe some different experiences that nowadays would immediately uh like turn off and go away from so i that's one thing i appreciate about video stores i feel like i did watch a lot of awful movies but it like a lot of times buried in those bad movies are like seeds of some decent ideas and you know like maybe like one good action scene or something that Mm -hmm. i take away from it so i think there are benefits to having to make that commitment and having to uh yeah like like really put more effort into what you're going to watch that evening it it was definitely more of a process there's a great line in uh psycho gorman i can't do the voice but i'm going to repeat the line where he says he or it, I guess, depends on your takeaway. The horrors you've just witnessed cannot be unseen. Your young minds will carry it until uh, it consumes you in miserable death. <laughs> and then the young character, Mimi, she goes, cool. And then <laughs> that really is a summation of the 80s. Like, I felt like I watched a number of movies. Uh, like you said, like sometimes you go to the video store. I watched a number of movies I probably, for my age or where I was at, probably shouldn't have watched. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, you know, oh, yeah. you, you cross that path, right? Things that maybe were meant for an older audience. That it, That is really the more specific inspiration for this movie was I want to make a thing that felt like that experience as a kid of watching a movie, like something or two was, was a specific one for me as a kid where you're watching it thinking like, oh, this will be like suitable for me and then really gruesome, horrible stuff happens mm-hmm. and you're a little traumatized but also even more engaged by it because it feels so real and the consequences feel so real that like, I, I think it just has an effect on your brain, especially creatively. Like, I think, I think it ended up inspiring me as a kid to continue with making monsters and making movies and stuff because because it had such profound effect. It, it wasn't a thing that just kind of washed over me and I moved to something else. Like, I vividly remember watching these movies. Like, I remember watching E2 for the first time, or watching Aliens for the first time, I remember watching Guyver 2 for the first time and being totally blown away by it. Just purely because you go and expecting something kid-friendly and get something that uh, is definitely not. It was definitely an R-rated experience. And so, yeah, I think that does interesting things to a kid's brain, being kind of exposed to that stuff a little too early. Yeah, it's almost a shame now because it's like, I, it's not that I want the video rental store to come back. Whatever, I'm happy with Netflix and streaming and everything that we have. I, I like the laziness and the no-pantsness of it. But <laughs> the the late-night cable as well, like, you know what I mean? I, I found, like, things like The Shining on late-night cable or Blackula things like that that you wouldn't have any context for they just kind of came out of nowhere and you're like what what is happening here like where am i this is not i'm from the suburbs i don't see stuff like this yeah and that's kind of gone part of the experience that's missing right now is that we're not stumbling upon things anymore like without having cable tv Mm -hmm. or the video store experience like like you're not stumbling upon stuff by chance and and like kind of getting getting maybe experiences that you weren't expecting to get. Like we're able to curate our entertainment like 
so specifically now and like with algorithms and stuff and all these streaming services like they're kind of just showing you what you want to see or what, what it thinks you think you want to see mm. and i think half the fun of uh like consuming different types of media is that you want variety you want to maybe watch a thing that like if you just had the decision between watching that you're you're having trouble sleeping you're up late at night watching cable and it's two in the morning and I don't know, like naked lunch comes on or something, <laughs> you know, it, it kind of opens your mind a little bit to some different stuff and makes for some interesting experiences, shows you things that you would not have gravitated towards if you had the choice of exactly what you were watching at that time. So I think that is part of the experience that's missing right now in media, which is unfortunate. It is. Yeah. One of those type of experiences that you're talking about, those things that you don't expect to normally see, I want to reference it before we get too deep into Psycho Gorman. But in 2018, I think it was, you did the prosthetic art. You were the prosthetic artist on Leprechaun Returns. Uh, well, I, I directed yeah. Leprechaun Returns. And then uh, yeah. uh, my team at Masters Effects uh, did the prosthetics work. But I did help. I, I did kind of help coordinate the effects uh, for the film. Yeah, and the, the reason why I'm bringing it up is because there was a number of practical effects in the movie rather than like some of the traditional CGI, for example, right? Like, so what I was curious about is like, how do you know how to push for practical effects? Like, I understand budget would be an issue, but budget aside, like, how do you know the practical effects would better tell this scene or this moment? Well, I mean, if you can do it for real on the day when you're shooting, like that's always better because I don't know. I find while CG can be very impressive, you know it's CG and like no matter how convincing it is and so I think especially like with creature effects uh, the effect is just not the same unless it's uh, an actual tactile real thing that the actors can interact with um, that it reacts to like the dynamic lighting of your set or location I just think that there's so many things that an audience member picks up on when they see a, something practical happening in front of them in a, in a movie that like it just it, it, I feel like it keeps you in the world and it keeps you engaged where sometimes CG becomes more about being as flashy as possible and it's and it stops being about like being in the moment and being convinced like like I just feel like the illusion of practical effects when done properly is more convincing than CG but to me the perfect scenario is merging both of them mm -hmm. and doing some stuff practical and some stuff CG because a lot of the gags in Leprechaun Returns are enhanced with little bits of visual effects here and there because it just streamlines it streamlines the process so much and it's it can end up saving tons of money when you go into something knowing like we're going to paint out these rods for this gag so we don't have to worry about hiding them on the day like having those departments work together is really the best best case scenario because then you can have real things that the actors are interacting with but then also using vfx to enhance what's already there instead of putting in something like generating something from scratch in post-production and putting it in uh so yeah i think that's that's the ideal way to approach any effect is utilizing both and having them work together yeah you're talking about something like yoda for example in the original star wars right like sometimes yeah. maybe somebody would normally put like c completely c cgi them in and just give like 
like Luke Skywalker, a base, a tennis ball or something to kind of look at, <laughs> right? And it's like his well, eyes I mean, are here. The ori- yeah, in the original movies, it was all a puppet. And then in prequels, they decided to go with a CG Yoda. And like, you can tell the difference. Like one, one has personality and one doesn't. Correct. But at the same time, like using a puppet, but then being able to maybe like paint out any rods or anything that go into operating that puppet. Uh, it's utilizing CG, like visual effects to enhance the practical effect that you're doing. Because yeah, I will always maintain that having a, having a real thing on set for people to interact with and see and have in the same space as the actors will always be better. I know you're a director, um, and I just want to pick up on that thread just a little bit more, because how did you end up becoming then like this Jim Henson of creature effects? How do you know this was a path that you want to kind of go down on? Well, uh, like from an early age, I knew I wanted to make movies because I liked uh, like sculpting little creatures and bringing them to life with stop motion animation. And that was my first avenue that I took with filmmaking because as a young kid, like I didn't have the resources to get actors and locations and things. So I figured if I do it in animation, stop motion, I can still kind of do the whole process of filmmaking, but on a small scale. Like I could do it in my dad's basement workshop mm-hmm. uh, back home. So it was like kind of a budget conscious way of the process of filmmaking. And so as a kid, I do these little stop motion animations. But slowly, as my ambitions uh, for the stories I wanted to tell got bigger and bigger, and I started shooting live action stuff with actors, uh, I realized I needed to make monsters at full scale to kind of go along with that. And so it was really just expanding what I started with uh, in stop motion, just building out from that and getting, just scaling up what I was doing. So I went from making small scale creatures to making bigger scale creatures and learning all the processes that go along with that. Uh, So once I started making these little movies and getting better at makeup effects, uh, I started working in prosthetics uh, so yeah, that, uh, became my career path for, for a good decade was just working in prosthetics while making my own little movies on the side. Cause I never really had any ambition of like directing, like as a full-time job, I just figured that was an unachievable thing. And so I focused on makeup effects, but still wanted to make my own movies on the side and it just, I guess because I was turning out so much stuff and the response was so good, I just kept getting more and more, uh, more projects coming my way. And, uh, that's how I started to get stuff like Leprechaun, uh, actual like paid directing jobs because I have the, um, kind of back and forth ability to direct, but also help coordinate prosthetic effects. And I know kind of how both of the jobs work, whereas a lot of directors I think are in the dark as to how, Mm-hmm. creature effects uh works on set so because that's my passion i'm able to uh streamline that as much as possible which i think helps especially when you're doing a low budget thing like something like leprechaun so yeah i've just always been doing both both jobs kind of in tandem uh and just going back and forth between the two did you learn a lot too working on productions like suicide squad and crimson peak and uh, other uh bigger productions you did some stuff for star trek discovery like so you worked with a number of established directors right and this is what you're saying before like sometimes they some know how to do uh, special effects or creature effects and some don't so were you learning as well as well about directing from some of these directors that you worked with 
Yeah, I mean, in prosthetics, like working in prosthetics, uh, it was a lot of shop work, so I wasn't on set that much. Uh, for some of the shows, I was, uh, but usually I was in the shop sculpting. Uh, so then I, I want to switch now to Psycho Gorman, and I want to know what came first. Like, what sparked this movie? Was it the various monsters or the plot or some of the images that you had for it? Like, what was kind of the initial spark for it? I mean, the big image that really was in my brain the longest was this image of this hulking monster man sitting at a drum set. Uh, <laughs> yes. That was, yeah. that was an image that I like I've had for a while and I just didn't know what to do with it because mm-hmm. it made me laugh. And then, yeah, uh, after I'd finished Leprechaun, I was thinking up like ideas for what the next project could be. And I started in my head, just kind of riffing on this idea of like, what if there's like this ancient evil monster that gets resurrected, uh, and like he's under the control of some little kids. Like I like I like the idea of a kid adventure movie twist. And so thinking about something like E.T., it's like, well, what if E.T. was uh, not this like benevolent? Uh, <laughs> E.T. was like Skeletor or something mm-hmm. like kind of evil warlord, but it's still like <laughs> everyone. Everyone in the story still acted like, like, kind of not phased by this evil being that is bringing people around them. Mm-hmm. And so that that made me laugh. And so I kept expanding upon that. Uh, and then it was such a simple through line for the story that it was easy for me to just hang a bunch of ideas I had for other projects, which is why then we had such an eclectic cast of characters and situations because so much of it is just like things that I want, I didn't know where to put them, especially with like all the creature designs. Uh, they're, they're all things that were like from half thought out ideas. So uh, that's why the variety is so great um, because they're all just like pulled from totally different scenarios. Cause I want to give it that vibe of like in Empire Strikes Back when you see the lineup bounty hunters in that movie yes. uh, with like Boba Fett and IG-88 and Buckus and Dengar and Orlam. It's like, I, I like that feeling of looking at all those guys. And even though they're only like, what's up with those guys, I need to know their story. So I want to like emulate that a little bit and just have scenes in between the like mundane suburbia stuff where suddenly like the movie just explodes visually with a bunch of that you're like almost overwhelmed by after the movie they're wondering like what is up with that guy that looks like a big trash can full of body parts mm-hmm. like like i want people to take that away from this movie that there's like more stories in the universe that's just happening off screen uh that's not a good in the actual story and to maybe spark people's imagination that it echoed um, Ghostbusters, right? And I know you named it uh, Spangler Springs, which is where it takes place, which, of course, was Harold Ramis. Yeah. But, like, if you if you watch Ghostbusters, like, like minus the comedy, right? Like, um, what's his name? Zool was, like, a demigod, right? Who was supposed to, like, be a servant to Gozer the Gozerian, which was supposed to be the shape-shifting god of destruction. Like, yep. it's not... That's not funny. <laughs> like we were doomed. Well, and that's that's <laughs> right? why that movie is the best, is because it plays it straight. Mm-hmm. It takes it seriously. The the crazy story of that movie, the plot is all legitimate. It's not 
not played for laughs. I don't feel like it's secondary to the comedy either. Mm-hmm. And that's how I want to approach PG. Like I, I take the universe of the movie seriously. The mythology of the movie I take seriously. It's, I'm passionate about it. I really like love all the fantasy stuff. Like there is definitely a version of this movie or a movie in the PG universe that's just totally played straight. Um, I just like the idea of merging that with a more mundane suburban adventure scenario. Uh, and the comedy just kind of comes out of that. But I don't feel like the comedy diminishes the intensity of the movie like the intense scenes while a lot of times our punchlines to a joke are still horrifying in their own right and like the violence feels very legitimate and crazy at times so it's like ghostbusters where i wanted to straddle that line and not lean so far into comedy that the movie loses its legitimacy and just becomes like an snl sketch like i want it to feel like like there's still a real story and a real adventure happening mm-hmm. uh, and it just happens to be super funny at the same time. Yeah. Normally so- sometimes when you watch certain movies, um, think of like maybe oceans 11, or oceans 12, you can tell Brad Pitt and George Clooney are having a good time. They're having fun with this. They're not really taking this movie serious. You know what I mean? They're in Vegas. They're drinking. Yeah. And like with this one, you could tell like you're having a good time, like making this, like you're having, this is a joyful time for you as the director. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, I mean, that's not to say it wasn't an insane amount of work and exhausting. And Correct. I was spent many late nights making this thing happen. Uh, but, yeah, I, like I wanted to feel like uh, like exuberant and exciting in the way uh, these kinds of movies used to be, like like where they were like real passion projects and people's like despite it being low budget, like people still threw everything they had at them to make it as, as crazy as possible. Like, like I think of like early, like Sam Raimi stuff, the evil dead trilogy. Mm-hmm. Like those movies are so jam packed with creativity uh, that it's infectious. Like I can't, I can't watch a single one of those movies and not immediately after like start working, like sculpting a creature or making a thing or like editing or doing something because it just, fills me with so much creative juice that I just gotta gotta like work on a thing. And so I wanted to make a movie that had a bit of that vibe where it's like like just all the creativity is on screen and there's nothing it's just a lot of like passionate hard work from a lot of really talented people. So yeah. yeah. Another example too is like I think it was in the first Hellboy movie where uh Hellboy or some two of the characters are talking and one of them said like Hitler died in like 1956 after the occult wars and it was just one throwaway line but it just builds that universe right you're like yo hold up <laughs> that's like a whole other movie when like what happened yeah. and, right like I love I love that feeling of somebody says a thing that makes you go like ooh yeah that to me is the kind of world like not shoving it down your throat it's like a throwaway comment as they're moving on to something else. And mm-hmm. so I want to try and instill a bit of that in this movie. Something happens and we're already on to the next scene before the audience has time to even register what happened. Mm-hmm. So then after the movie, they're like, wait a second, how did what? How did Pandora crush that lady into a cube? Like, what's the deal with that? <laughs> like, I want, yeah. I want people to be asking those questions after the movie. And, uh, and yeah, sparking, sparking some emotion instead of just, you know, 
that feeling of watching a movie where you're like, all right, I guess this is over now Mm -hmm. onto the next thing. Yeah. And one of your classic eighties references, uh, and it made me laugh was at the end. I'm not, this is not a spoiler or anything like this, but it's at the end. They have this whole big ruckus and everything like this hour and a half movie. And then the dad was trying to figure out what the takeaway was, like a classic 80s sitcom. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. what did we learn today, kids? Like, he wants to impart this wisdom, his dad wisdom to the kids, and this takeaway for the audience. He's kind of half looking at the audience, not really, but you know what I mean? And it's just like, because the Simpsons do that too. They skewer that whole, like, sitcom feel-good takeaway of what was the lesson that you learned. Yes, totally. Well, and I love, like, in the movie twisting that idea and having any kind of moral that somebody imparts like like verbalizes being complete gibberish like Mm. just being total nonsense like obviously greg's uh story about (laughs) the guy in the van is like like there's a lot to unpack in that story that he tells but i love that that's his idea of like imparting wisdom to his daughter Mm -hmm. uh and like, yeah, I feel there's a lot of moments like that where it's just drawing attention to how absurd the whole situation is and how like in these movies, it's crazy that anyone would stop to like even attempt to wrap it up with a like in a nice package with a bow to be like, and this is why all this happened. And we're all better people now. Mm-hmm. That's not really like life is a lot of like a crazy thing happens and then you just throw your hands up and go like, well, that happened. I don't <laughs> really know what to do now. So I want a little bit of that uh, reality to sink into this fantasy adventure movie. Yeah. The dad was fantastic. Really dry, really like great lines. And there's like, yeah, there's also like that great little pun that he had is like, does that make me lazy Susan? Like just little <laughs> things like that. I appreciate like the dad was excellent. I mean, the kids did a great job too. No, I think the whole cast we really lucked out with, like, Ash and Alexis uh, as Greg and Susan were such a fun duo. Uh, I love the way that they bounced off of each other. Um, Like, (laughs) Adam's buffoonery paired with, like, Alexis was just, like, being totally fed up with him. Like, her eye rolls are great. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, like, Mimi and Luke, like, like, Nita and Owen as the kids were just so perfect as those characters like i couldn't have asked for for better performances they really knocked it out of the park and made them charming and i was concerned they'd come across as irritating because they are very broad characters but i thought it they really straddled that line and made them uh endearing uh but also like shocking at times which i think is super fun and a thing you don't see with kid characters a lot in movies they're always very like wide-eyed and innocent and i wanted kids that were uh, a little more realistic and, uh, you know, a little nuttier, which I think is more accurate to, to kids. Yeah, and I also like, too, how you kind of muddled the timeline. You don't really know what time period this is in, right? Like, you see in the warehouse, like, you see a computer in the corner there, but in another room uh, where Mimi's in the room and she's praying to Jesus, like, you see a typewriter. So... <laughs> You're all over the place. And this, it does feel like an 80s movie. So you generally accept that it, might, it probably is an 80s movie, uh, but probably 80s into the 90s kind of movie. Uh, I think there's a few signposts that plant it firmly in the mid-90s. And one of them is that uh, PG is dressed up like Dr. Grant from Jurassic Park uh, in the middle of the movie. So oh, yeah, it yeah. means it's 
it has to be post-1993. Okay. And then also they're playing in 64 at one point. So that didn't come out until, what, 96, I want to say. So those are some kind of obvious signifiers that it's somewhere mid-90s. But at the same time, like going back and reviewing movies and stuff from from the 90s, it made me realize like a lot of stuff in the early half of the 90s really has the residue of the 80s on it. And I think it's like a fun era to explore because it's not – it's not as like neon and synthy as like I feel like a lot of uh, retro media is doing these days. Like this 80s aesthetic, I, I like that the 90s tried to move away from that and be a little bit more uh, like tried to be a, a tiny bit classier. And I, I just love the vibe of 90s movies because they always have really big symphonic scores. Yeah, and there and also like even the aspect ratio of the movie, like shooting two point three five, making it a little wider. I think it's true to like a lot of '90s movies had that look, um, and yeah. So it, I wanted to have like just a little hint of Ninja Turtles to it as well. That was a big influence on the movie. Yeah, I love the look, which explains the rap music things. at the end. Yes, well, <laughs> I feel like that that was the thing that happened. They had a rap song at the end that was like commissioned for the movie so it wouldn't be about the film itself. And so, yeah, I wanted to emulate that as much as possible. And the, the composers, I got to give a shout out to Wolf Berlin, did a fantastic job on the score for this movie. My like reference was pretty ambitious. Like make it feel like a Highlander score, which is like, <laughs> you know, is like really anthemic. They did a really good job and uh, really gave the movie a lot of its personality. So last question, I know we were running a little bit over time, but we had the technical difficulty oh, in the middle, but um, you're currently or will be directing Sci-Fi's Day of the Dead series, right? Uh, we finished uh, middle of December. They're, they're deep in post right now, okay. uh, but as far as shooting is concerned, I finished that up at the end of last year. And so that should be airing, uh, I believe, October of this year is when. And you directed the first four episodes? Yes. And just for anyone that doesn't know, like, what is the take? Can you talk at all about what the series is or where, what direction you're going to go I in? I mean, I can't really have to say much as far as details about the plot. I mean, it does take a lot of inspiration from Romero's film. There are obviously some pretty substantial changes, but I do think it stays true to the spirit of his original trilogy of zombie movies. And... Uh, yeah, I had a ton of fun making it. it has some great zombie effects. And uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's going to be a good one. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see with your background, what you can do with zombies. Because uh, that's a lot of fun. Because um, zombies, we've seen all kinds of different zombies, obviously, in the last 10, 15 years with different TV shows and movies. So it'll be interesting. That's a fun playground to be in for you. Oh, yeah, for sure. It, it was, uh, yeah, being a kid in a candy store when you're, when you're doing an effects artist doing a zombie show. You really get to get creative work eggs and things. So, yeah, I'm excited for people to see it. So, last question. I know uh, Psycho Gorman is just coming out on VOD on January 22nd, but a classic 80s horror movie staple is the sequel. Are we ever going to see Psycho Gorman 2? I hope so. I, I mean, we got to go all the way up to PG-13 at the very least for that <laughs> joke to work, yes. right? Yeah. So, 
I, yeah, I mean, I definitely have ideas and things that I'm, I'm slowly starting to have. Uh, I think we got to see how this movie lands with people, uh, people like it. Yeah, I would be into revisiting this universe because there's, there's lots of room to play in this one. It's, it's a pretty, pretty big mythology I've built, and I think there's lots of fun to be had in this universe. So, yeah, I hope so. I hope there is further interest. So please keep making more. I really enjoyed the film. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of blast. It was a blast from the past. Like you said, it's like, oh, that was really satisfying. And like, it's, I think you referenced a little bit Army of Darkness and it's the same thing. You're like, that really wasn't horror. I don't know what that was, but that was something. Um, and so you're like, yo, it was a good time. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. All right, we're done. Sorry, I went a little overtime just because we had the technical difficulties, but thank you so much for your time, Stephen. And uh, hopefully the release and everything goes well. I know we're not going to be having any Toronto screenings for the next little while, but hopefully it's somehow Raven Banner can somehow rearrange something because this would be fun to see with a large crowd of people. I know. It's really disappointing because this is such a crowd pleaser of a movie. Like, it needs to be seen with an audience, and we're kind of screwed out of that right now. But... I mean, at the very least, I want there to be a drive-in screening somewhere that I can go to. Like, I haven't watched this movie with an audience yet. So, yeah, we'll see. Hopefully, they can figure something out. All right. Thank you. Have a good day. Have a good nap. Thank you, man. Very nice. Oh, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Yo, the movie is Psycho Gorman. I am Sammy Yunan. So in my conversation with Steven uh, Konstansky, we laughed at the Psycho Gorman moment with that classic sitcom feel-good takeaway. What was the lesson you learned? <laughs> I'll pose that question to you after you watched Psycho Gorman. What was your takeaway? Mine, of course, was the line, The horrors you've just witnessed cannot be unseen. Your young minds will carry this until it consumes you in miserable death. Yes, 100%. Anybody who's watched something like The Shining knows that those uh, that will consume you until your miserable death. Like Stephen, I'm sad, uh, unfortunately, that we're not getting any screenings. If you've been to film festivals like Toronto After Dark, you know how joyful blood, guts, terrible jokes, and strange creatures with unpresented backstories can be. Psycho Gorman will be out on DVD and Blu-ray on March 16th. I assume it'll be out on VHS the same day. I kind of really hope so. Anyways, what was your takeaway? Hopes or dreams, fears or concerns? Write to me. I'm at my pal Sammy and my summer layer for all three. IG, Facebook, and Twitter. My pal Sammy and my summer layer. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to me in the Netflix world. Ancient alien overlords, yo.